The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 31, The Bears Are on the Clock edition. You have found the best place for cigars and Chicago sports. Let's set the scene. We are going to talk about cigars and Chicago sports at The Place, 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. That's The Place, 5236 Main Street. You can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports, or you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts, but you know that because you're listening to a podcast. So, uh, as always, I'm going to introduce my uh, co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, this is the uh, inaugural 2023 uh, episode. Uh, so, and I guess that technically would make this season two. I don't know, maybe season three. I'm not sure that it really matters, but let's not worry about it. It's just episode 31. So, how are you doing? How's 2023 treating you? What's going on? Uh, it's doing great. Uh, great holiday season. Kind of glad they're over. Those were a couple really long weekends between family and friends and grandkids and a million other things, but it was great. It was great weekends, but now we're into probably my favorite time of year. We're into playoff football season, and as uh, this weekend just showed, it's only going to get better for the next few weeks. Uh, we get to cap off uh, later today, the uh, end of the first weekend of the playoffs, but it was uh, a lot of fun to watch that. So what are you smoking? You know, I'm trying something different. Our friends Romeo and Julie Etta came out with a new cigar. Uh, it's called the Twisted Toro, and it looks like probably my favorite cigar ever, which is the Arturo Fuente Between the Lines. It almost looks like an identical twin. It's a 60 by 54. It's a little larger. They also have another one called the Twisted Love Story, which is a 4.5 by 46. But I uh, thought I'd give that a try, and uh, I'm actually liking it pretty That's good. That's great. Well, I am smoking an Avo number 9. Pulled that baby right out of the tube. Yeah, I, I agree. So, you know, you mentioned playoff football. Let's talk a little bit about that. I think we have three main topics tonight. You know, Steve, I'm going to, you know, mind, I'm going to cut you off real quick. I'm going to go on to a subject. You know, we were talking about cigars, and unfortunately, we kind of, you know, we are cigars in Sports Chicago, and certainly lately we've been uh, heavy on the uh, sports and not the cigars. But I know we promised when we started these podcasts we would not discuss politics. But I'm going to have to go there just a little bit because um, the House Rules Committee chairman, and that would be Representative Tom Cole, who's a Republican out of Oklahoma, decided since the House has control now and he's the head of the rules, he's got a new rule that he changed that's been in place since 07. He is now allowing smoking in the Capitol, which is one of the few office buildings in the country that allows indoor smoking. And he's a huge cigar guy. He speaks at a lot of Cigar Association events. So him and about 30 other new House members are now firing up cigars in their offices. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. And I think it's awesome. How in God's name did I did I miss that? 
So I have a couple of questions. So yeah, so obviously you do feel very good about that, right? Well, you know, we are cigars in Sports Chicago. We are cigar lovers. So I think it's I think it's pretty awesome. So here's my take on that. So I am I'm one of these guys that when they came up with the you know the uh, the various smoking bans, and I believe that Illinois was uh, 2007, um, being unprepared for that. And you know, first I was very annoyed by that. I'm like, hey, if a place wants to allow smoking, then you know, just allow it. You know what I mean? Like then then if you don't smoke, then you don't go. Then you don't have to go in there. All that kind of thing. You know, there can be a smoking section, but over a period of time. I started realizing that, you know what, other people are allowed to have sort of non-smoking interference in their life if they want, and I think it's fine. I do not smoke around people who do not want to, uh, you know, deal with smoke. So I would not be in favor of that at all, because why should the majority of people who don't smoke be subjected to smoking? And as you know, not to talk about politics, but I am a very hardcore um, personal freedom and civil liberties uh, guy. But I, where I sort of draw the line is where it affects other people, public health, that kind of thing. So it kind of bothers me that somebody else would have to deal with my smoking. So I find that to be a little bit troubling. Well, once again, that's about as far as we want to venture into politics. We promised we wouldn't do it, but I just thought I'd bring that little tidbit up that came across my uh, my uh, viewing uh, the other day, and I thought it was interesting. This is basically uh, they're allowed to smoke in their private offices, and apparently if you guys, uh, they get together and they, uh, they're they now taking advantage of that in their private office. Well, I have been slightly news light the last few days, and now I'm looking, how did I possibly miss that? And it might just be because I've been so focused on investigating George Santos's identity that I missed it. But that's it for politics tonight. Okay, so we got three main topics. We got to we're going to recap Super Wild Card weekend. Then I think the most important topic, which is what should the Bears do with the first pick? And then we're going to make our picks for the divisional round. So let's run through. I thought there was some pretty good football this weekend, particularly a couple of the games. I want to run through each game fairly briefly. But Phil, I have a request of you. Let's each of us, as we go into each game for a couple of minutes for a recap, please start out with your one biggest key takeaway from that game. Start out with that. So let's begin with Niners Seahawks. What do you think, and what's your number one key takeaway from that game? Niners Seahawks, I'd have to say, was uh, was Purdy's performance. Uh, this quarterback, for where he came from, his performance in that game, I mean, he was 18 for 30, 332 yards, Three TD passes, one rushing pass. That was the second most uh, passing yards ever for a rookie. He's the first rookie ever to account for four TDs in a playoff game. So my number one takeaway is uh, is Purdy. I thought uh, what this guy's pulling off is pretty much short of incredible. Well, you know, mine is very similar, or maybe it's the same. My key takeaway is the San Francisco 49ers have found their QB1. I mean... 
how could they not have? When you now look at what this guy's done, you know, he's 6-0, and he's won a playoff game, He, you know, he started out appearing to be a little jacked up or a little nervous or whatever in the beginning of that game the other day, but as you just pointed out his numbers, I thought he had an excellent game, you know, it was interesting because the Niners were down by a point at halftime and they just rolled in the second half of that game, and I will tell you that, you know, not to give you any spoilers, but when I look at my Super Bowl prediction, there is no question whatsoever that the San Francisco 49ers um, are my NFC pick. They are rolling. They look like a machine in the second half. And, you know, it's great for Brock Purdy. He's played really well. For those who say the quarterback doesn't matter in that system because there's so much good infrastructure and coaching and players and everything around him, that's all true. But if you had Trey Lance or Mitch Trubisky or, you know, one of these other, you know, terrible guys, I do not think they would be doing what this guy is doing. This guy is poised. This guy's talented. He's got a lot more arm talent than I thought that he did. And got to give him a lot of credit. The Niners have found their QB1, and uh, they are off to the races. I do not see who is going to beat them in the NFC. Obviously, anything can happen on any given Sunday, um, but uh, looking really good for them. So, Chargers, Jags, key takeaway. It has to be uh, Bosa probably doing the most boneheaded play in the history of the playoffs for uh, a guy to do that what he did, you know, slamming his helmet not once but slamming it twice. It literally cost him a game. The uh, penalty uh, allowed Doug Pedersen to, what I still say was a pretty ballsy call, and go for two, even though it was short yardage. Um, he misses it. They're down by four. He makes it. They're down by two. Uh, it was a game changer, but I would have to say Bosa's you know, bonehead penalty, and then he went on some rant against the referees. I want to just say, grow grow the fuck up. So my key takeaway is Trevor Lawrence is the man. And the reason I would say that is that the guy had four picks in the first half. You know, they then scored a touchdown right at the end of the first half. But, you know, three touchdown passes in the second half. The guy had a great second half. He was throwing the ball all over the place. And here's what you have to think about. Imagine you're in a playoff game. It's your first playoff game, and you throw three picks in the first quarter, and you're down 27 to nothing. Obviously, you're going to be thinking to yourself, and you know the whole team is thinking, we're losing this game. But the guy never dropped his head. He was his he was in the game the entire time. And my guess is he went in there at halftime and said, hey, boys, we're going to win this damn game. And that's exactly what they did. That guy is one hell of a leader. And I, I cannot even tell you the amount of credibility that that guy must have gotten, you know, from that game, seeing how poorly he started. Because I'm sure that everyone else in that locker room has had a bad day at the office and had a you know time when they screwed up. And he's certainly did. But to be able to come back from that in the same game and not lose confidence, I thought was absolutely amazing. I think the other thing you got to learn about these games is that it's not over till it's over. I'm done when it's 21 nothing in the first quarter now saying, oh, this game is over because it's not. And Trevor Lawrence is the man. Give that guy a hell of a lot of credit. We'll talk about this week because I think he has basically no chance this week. But kudos to that guy. He had a really good, uh, really good game. Let me go back to one more thing on that. That Bosa thing. Yeah, I thought that was idiotic. Clearly, I mean, they tell you from high school, you take your helmet off on the field of play, and it's going to be a personal foul. But 
He then throws his helmet, and then the head coach, this moron, Brandon Staley, former uh, Bears uh, defensive coach, by the way, goes over, picks up his helmet, hands it to him, and he throws it again. Now, do I think that's why they lost the game? And I know you made that point, and you know, obviously you're entitled to your analysis. I would actually, hey, I didn't mean to say your analysis. But anyway, so, but if you, if, I mean, look at their play calling in the second half. Hey, Chargers, you're allowed to run the ball in the second half. You're up 27 to 7. They were still throwing the ball, you know, throwing the ball around. Um, it was just, I, I thought they just played really poorly and frankly just choked the game away. And I normally do not overplay the word choked, but that's exactly what they did. Tons of credit to Trevor Lawrence. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Trevor Lawrence thing was the slam dunk thing to talk about. There's no doubt about it. But you know, I just picked that out when I was thinking about it today after watching the game, that that was a total, I mean, that was a game changer. And to have that coach go for two, and he misses, he's down four. Being down four is a whole lot different than being down two. You know, I, I'm not saying it was the total reason the game changed, but that was one bonehead play that, to me, contributed to costing that game to that team. Bills, Dolphins. Bills and Dolphins. Wow. You know what? There's a lot to be said there. I, you know, it kind of reminded me of uh, because Miami, you know, playing with a third string cor- quarterback, um, you know, the Bills should have just crushed his team. And I think it reminded me of like when my kids played sports that when they, when a real good team played a really lousy team, sometimes the good team played down to their level. Um, and I think I kind of took that out of this game because there was no reason that uh, Miami shouldn't have been crushing this game, but. You know, Allen came out, the other thing that was, uh, the guy threw three TDs in three minutes, you know, when he had to start, you know, bringing it on, he brought it on. And, uh, you know, the good good teams pull through a sloppy game, but that's what I take out of it. My key takeaway from that game, and I've been saying this for a few weeks, I have nothing against the Bills. And I think if you look at a number of the storylines over the last year in Buffalo, you could argue that they're kind of a fan favorite. It'd be nice for them to win. Uh, but, you know, I think the Bills are a little bit overrated. And the fact that the Dolphins stayed in that game on the road um, and were in a position to potentially, you know, still win the game with eight seconds to go, probably one of the worst penalties I've ever seen was that eight seconds to go, fourth and one, they get a delay or, you know, they get a delay of game and then the, the game ended right there. But that game, that should not be that close. And I just don't know how the Bills are going to perform against teams like, you know, Kansas City or, um, you know, or the Bengals, and we'll get to them in a minute, or San Francisco, when they can barely beat the Dolphins with a third-string quarterback on their home field, a team that has lost five out of six. The other thing I would say about that um, team as well is that I think their defense has been significantly hurt by the loss of Von Miller. That's unfortunate because he was playing really well, you know, at the time that, that he got injured, you know, out for the year, and they could use some additional pass rush because their defense has been really good. Uh, Leslie Frazier, one of your favorites, is the defensive coordinator, and he's done an incredible job there over the years. But their defense looks a little slack to me. Josh Allen, I I don't know. Like I feel like he may be a little bit overrated, too. I I, I don't know. But I just think that the Bills a little bit overrated. No, I think uh, as you're talking about their defense, I I agree with you. But I think, uh, you know, one of the takeaways, I thought that Matt Milano had a pretty good game. 
I think he had at least two sacks, maybe had three, but at least two sacks, a lot of rushes. I think he filled in pretty good there, and I think he had a pretty good Well, game. he is an amazing – Matt Milano is an awesome player. I'm glad you brought that up. Number uh, 58, the linebacker. And he was a first-team All-Pro. And I don't mean Pro Bowl. He was a first-team All-Pro, so the best player in the entire league at his position. He is a great player, um, is really good at you know taking the right angles to the ball, very aggressive tackler, You know, does a lot of things well. And I agree. I mean, I think he's arguably the best guy on that defense. Um, so good call by you. Vikings, Giants. And I have a little bit of an interesting kind of – one takeaway from this game. And if you don't mind, I want to go first on this one. Here's my key takeaway from Vikings Giants. As a Bears fan, I want Saquon Barkley. Look, I know that, you know, the conventional wisdom in the NFL is that you don't pay running backs. I I get that. I'm also not a big fan of paying running backs. And Saquon Barkley didn't have the greatest game ever. I think he had like 78 yards rushing and 56 yards passing. But that guy is an absolutely unbelievable weapon. You can, you know, you can run him as a traditional running back. You can use him as a slot receiver. I mean, the guy can block a little bit. He is an absolute madman. And he looked this year just as good as he looked in his rookie of the year, um, first year. The guy's very healthy, great character guy. I want that guy on my team. As far as the game goes, you know, I thought the Vikings did sort of Vikings stuff. You know, Kirk Cousins, it's, it wasn't noon on Sunday. He didn't play very well. Um, Daniel Jones had an excellent game, and he was certainly the player of the game um, in, you know, in that game. And the Giants played really well. Wouldn't be surprised if the Giants, uh, you know, have a chance to win another game, but that was my uh, that's my thoughts on that game. Your key takeaway, uh, you know, my key takeaway. I kept saying all year that the Vikings were pretenders and not contenders. Uh, some of it because they were in the Bears division. I just hate them, anyways. But uh, I think the thing I always said that about this specifically this year was watching their defense, and I think they're they're challenged and de- challenging and defense finally caught up to them. They were questionable most of the year. And this game caught up to them. I mean, first half alone, they allowed uh, 8.3 yards per play. Per play, uh, tough thing to do in the playoffs. Uh, so I think the the uh, Vikings' uh, struggling defense finally caught up to them. But I agree with you. Dan Jones had a great game. Uh, he had one uh, kind of a goofy stat. As stats go, uh, he was the first quarterback in playoff history to have uh, 300 plus yards, two TDs or more, and over 70 yards rushing for whatever that trifecta stat is worth but he's the first one to ever do it so he he had a very uh very good game there. Well, he was terrific and you know his timing is really good because he is a free agent he is going to get paid by the giants no question whatsoever he's i don't think he's going to get a you know 230 million dollar contract like some of these other guys but he's going to be well paid i think he's a really good leader he's developed and i give him uh give him a lot of credit so then last night was amazing bengals ravens And my key takeaway is that one play can turn an entire ball game. That play in the second half where Huntley was, uh, you know, quarterback sneak. He's at the one and a half, tries to punch the ball in. You know, the ball gets loose. Sam Hubbard, the um, defensive lineman from Cincinnati, by the way, um, you know, runs the thing back for a touchdown. The game at that point should have been, Tyler Huntley should have pushed that in, 
and it should have been 24-17 Baltimore at that point. It ended up being 24-17 Cincinnati. So it was a, you know, complete 14-point turnaround in one game, longest fumble recovery um, in NFL playoff history. That was unbelievable. And the other thing is, too, is that, you know, I've been raving about the Bengals for, you know, quite a while. They have not lost a game since October. They played really well. Their offensive line was terrible last night. Joe Burrow was getting hit uh, basically on every snap. He didn't have a bad game. Burrow didn't, but he didn't do anything particularly special. And they were very, very fortunate. I don't like using the word lucky, but they were very fortunate um, to win that game. And going into Buffalo this week, they've better be a hell of a lot better than that. And they better be able to you know, give uh, Burrow a little bit of time because they are not going to win that game if they play like they did last week. And, you know, I just thought that was really interesting. What's your take on Bengals-Ravens? You know, two things. Almost the same thing I said about the Buffalo team. Bengals, um, you know, they look sloppy. They look, they just didn't look like they were hitting on all cylinders. Um, so it's going to be interesting, them going against Buffalo, both having – you know, what I didn't think were great games um, certainly could have been better. But my big takeaway was, you know, when I saw uh, left tackle um, Jonah Williams go down, he went down with a knee injury. And they were already playing without right tackle Leo Collins, without the right guard Alex Kappa. And, uh, you know, let's see what they got going in the next week. But if you go in the next week with three of your starting offensive linemen not playing, um, not a good time to have a, uh, you know, uh, that many injuries on your offensive line that's going to hurt uh, that's going to hurt them I agree with that. And, you know, I really like Cincinnati. I'm not sure why. Um, and I would hope, you know, and probably I prefer them to win than Buffalo just because I would like to see Kansas City, um, Cincinnati in the AFC championship game. But I don't know. So tonight. So that's the recap of the games that were played. Um, By the time that people are listening to this podcast, this next game will have already been played. So we might as well make a prediction. Tonight is uh, Dallas at Tampa Bay, which I know is counterintuitive because Tampa Bay had such a bad year and had a far worse record um, than did Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay won that crappy division. Um, So Dallas with 12 wins is on the road. And Dallas, by the way, really in all position groups, is a superior team. Um, That said, Dallas being a road three-point favorite, um, I am actually taking Tampa Bay tonight. And the reason is because I just don't see... I, I just don't see Tom Brady losing in a wild-card playoff game. Phil, what's your take on this game tonight? Well, you know, especially like you're saying, you know, there's an old saying in gamble, don't, don't bet against the greatest until they're not. And... Uh, yeah, betting against Tom Brady at home in a playoff game is a tough thing to do, especially when he's getting some points. So, you know, I I, I think uh, I, I think Dallas is going to win this game, but uh, if they don't, uh, it'll be interesting. I'd love to be in Jerry Jones's uh, skybox or his office tomorrow. Be interesting to see how he reacts to uh, his team getting knocked out of the playoffs right away. Yeah, and here's an interesting point related to this game that I thought about all of my own, and this leads us into our next topic. So tonight in Tampa Bay versus Dallas, you have a third-round quarterback, um, Dak Prescott, Mississippi State, if you remember, um, versus Tom Brady, who obviously uh, is famously a sixth-round pick. So whoever wins that 
has the privilege of facing San Francisco with their seventh round, last pick in the seventh round, Brock Purdy. So what does that say about drafting quarterbacks at the top of the draft? I just find it to be very interesting, and probably your greatest chance for success with a quarterback is in the first round. So maybe that's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, That brings us to what is our key segment today, and that is the Bears' first pick, and what do they do with the first pick? And the key is, I think the way the Bears have to look at it is, really, they have two quarterbacks. They have Justin Fields, and they also have Bryce Young from Alabama. So I think the first thing they have to do is is just assess, do you want to keep Justin Fields? Now, I do. Personally, I believe that's the right move. I'm not the general manager, but I think just like you would for any position that you probably want to go out, evaluate whether you like somebody better than what you have, because there is a hell of a lot of stuff that you can do with that first overall pick. Now, personally, I would keep fields, and I'm just saying that you have to evaluate it. I do have a particular strategy with the first pick, Um, but Phil, what do you think the Bears should do with the first pick? I know you've got a fairly uh, calculated process that you're going to walk us down that road. But, you know, quite simply, you know, as soon as they got that number one pick, I said the same thing. The Bears now have two quarterbacks. I would go to almost every team, but especially the teams that are in obvious need of a quarterback. And I would just hold out a piece of paper with Justin Fields' name and then the other first-round draft pick and say, who do you want and what are you going to give me? You got three months to do all that evaluating. Who do you want? What are you going to give me? And uh, I don't think I'm in the camp that I don't think launching field fields at this junction would be horribly critical to the Bears team as a whole. But they still got a lot of team to put together. And I think if that guy keeps running the way he's running, um, another year or two while they put this team together to, I think, high playoff level, which is what it's going to take. I think that guy's, you know, he could get injured and who knows what his career is going to be like. So I'm in the camp. I have no problem keeping fields. Um, And then let's go get some draft picks. They're going to get draft picks either way. They're going to make trades either way. Uh, But if they launched them and they uh, went with with their gut with uh, Bryce Young or another quarterback in that first round, uh, I'd have no problem with that either. So here's my take on this. I think it's a dual-pronged strategy at a minimum. First of all, I agree I would keep Justin Fields. But to me, here is the key. I think no matter what they do, they've got to trade down to number two to move the Texans up to number one. We know the Texans want a young quarterback. The question is, do they have one that they are set on? Meaning, do they definitely want Bryce Young or maybe even C.J. Stroud or Will Levis? Because here's the thing. Everyone knows the Bears are going to trade out of that first pick. So if they send that thing to Indy or Las Vegas or Atlanta or Carolina you know, or, or something like that, then there becomes an unknown for Houston where they don't get the quarterback necessarily that they want. But here's why I would go ahead and figure out a way to make that deal first. You flip with Houston. Houston also has the number 12 pick. So you trade the number one overall pick and you receive back in exchange the number two and the number 12. So in my, you know, my thinking is you then go into draft night knowing that you've got the number. So the worst thing that can happen is you have Will Anderson, you know, the Alabama edge rusher, you know, you get him at number two. 
and then you've still got the 12th pick. So, you know, th- you're in a good situation no matter what. But here's the other reason I would do that. Because if you do that, you know the Texans are going to pick a quarterback. So then you've got the second pick, and you got to assume that one of these other teams is going to be even more desperate for the second pick than they were for the first pick. So, for example... You know, if if I what I would do is, you know, I then trade number two and go to Indy because with all, you know, what everyone is saying is that Indy is the team that's going to do anything. They're going to offer the Bears basically anything, you know, for the first pick in the draft. I wouldn't trade it to them until after I flip with Houston. Then I trade Indy the number two pick and I get a second and third for that and probably a first next year. And I didn't mention this, but I probably also get a second from Houston for next year as well. So then the Bears have got the fourth, they've got the 12th, they've got two seconds, they got two thirds, they got another first for next year. But that's not all I would do, Phil. Because if you're at fourth, then chances are Will Anderson will already be gone because unless they trade out of that spot, Arizona will likely pick Will Anderson at number three. So then if you love Blake Carter, okay, pick him. But if you don't, I would then trade down again to number seven to Las Vegas, and I would get back Devontae Adams, a second, a third, and a second next year. Then you've got three seconds, three thirds, uh, two seconds next year, two firsts next year, You have, and you've got Devontae Adams. So then you've got Devontae Adams, you've got the 12th overall pick that you got in that original trade, and you've got an absolute haul of picks at the top of the draft plus stuff next year. So I think the way that you maximize value for this thing is, is that you've got to trade down more than once, but the key trade is the Houston trade. you got to get that number 12 overall and get the number two overall. So you've still got a quarterback spot at number two and you've still got it, you know, the number 12 overall. Thoughts? Uh, no thoughts. I think uh, you're an L- a- analyst there and your analysis of it all. No, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you know, it's a long shot. They're going to pull something like that off. Uh, but it certainly makes sense to get a lot of picks. Um, I'm also part of the, you know, the camp that says, let's build a team. When you're done building the team, go get a second, third, fourth round quarterback or trade for one. Um, In the grand scheme of things, on average, they turn out as good or better than, you know, picks in the first five picks do in, in the history of selecting quarterbacks. So, you know, if they get all the picks they can get, they certainly got the cap space. They got the money to spend. Uh, they got to put a team around Justin Fields, assuming if you go that route, you're keeping Justin Fields. And uh, it certainly it can't help but make them a better team. I know you said you think it's a long shot to pull off a deal like that. I don't even think it's that much of a long shot. As long as they can make that first trade with Houston, you know these other teams are going to want to come up to get you know one of the other quarterbacks. So I don't even think it's really that crazy. Now, if you pull off both of those and then the third piece of it, you know, trading down and getting Devontae Adams or whatever, I realize that's a little bit of a stretch, but I still think you can easily trade down twice. And I think that's the way you maximize value. And, you know, I think as the Bears look at free agency, the draft or whatever, they're in a great situation because 
They obviously have the most cap space. They're going to have the most draft capital. And they really have needs at pretty much at every single position group, maybe with the exception of the secondary. You know, you could argue that, you know, they've got two corners and two safeties they go they could go into next year with. But other than that, the front seven on defense, they got nobody, basically. You know, that offensive line, maybe you got Tevin Jenkins, nobody else. I mean, they're they've got a lot of opportunity to get the best athlete available at a lot of spots and you pair all of that free agency and uh, you know in draft capital and you pair that with my guy Saquon Barkley as I talked about before I think that the Bears can be in really good shape well we'll see we got three months of playing around with this so it's going to be interesting so Phil let's now do our picks um, for next weekend and why don't you do the honors and take us through it well, you got the Jaguars and the Chiefs. You got the Chiefs at minus eight and a half at home. Um, Who do you, you like? Know, I, I like the Chiefs. There's no, you know, once again, just like I said about the quarterback earlier, uh, you know, you got you want to beat the best, you got to beat the best. I think the Chiefs can cover that. Yeah, I see no problem with the Chiefs covering eight and a half. I've already bet, by the way, on all of these games because I like the opportunity that a number of them present. And I agree with you. I'm going with the Chiefs. All right, next, Eagles-Giants. Uh, you got the Eagles at minus seven and a half. Of course, they're at home. Uh, I think that, you know, if you asked me a couple days ago, I would have said it's a slam dunk like the Chiefs game. I'm not so sure of that right now. It covered seven and a half. But uh, obviously the weather's going to play something to do with it. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't. I, not that I know if there's any bad weather predicted, but we do know it's a, a, a outdoor game. So we'll see. But I'd uh, if I have to, I'd say I'd take the Eagles. So I got the Giants. Um, seven and a half is too big of a number for that game. Um, I'm feeling really good about the the Giants covering that number. What's next? All right. Last game is Bengals Bills. I got. You know, Buffalo minus five and a half, they're at home. After watching the way those two teams played this weekend, it's almost a coin toss. I, I don't even know which way to go on this one as far as gambling goes, but I uh, I think the Bengals might pull this out. So I would probably take the Bengals plus five and a half. Yeah, I am going with the Bengals. I think that that's a big number. I think the Bengals stunk more than the Bills this week. I want to acknowledge that, but I am concerned um, you know, I just don't think the Bills can hold up. That's a fairly big number. I think that'll be a really close game, and I am with the Bengals on that. Obviously, the last pick is whoever wins tonight versus San Francisco. We don't have that yet, so we'll see how that works. Maybe I'll uh, tweet the prediction out for that. And with that, Phil, I think we're uh, we're done tonight. How you? All right. Thanks for having me. I'm good. <laughs> Rolling in the brushes down by the riverside.